Good evening, church, and again, good evening to those who may be watching online. <clears throat> theme of our message this evening is blaming God, blaming God. And in Genesis, the fourth chapter, verse 13 specifically, uh, would be the text if we boil it down to one verse. But I'd like to read there in verse 8 <clears throat> down through verse 14. <clears throat> it says here, reading from the New King James, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond upon the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And you can read on further there about what it says uh, about Cain. Cain and Abel, they went out and made sacrifices. God accepted Abel's, the, the fatlings and the, the animal that he gave. His brother, according to Hebrews, uh, didn't give by faith, but Abel gave by faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, so they had to hear God's word. So Cain and Abel both knew what to do. Cain got mad as the Lord talked to him, and then they went out into the field at some point after that, and we see that he rises up and kills his brother. We're not told how, but we see he kills him. And when the Lord punishes him for what he does, he goes and says, my punishment is too great to bear there in Genesis 4, 13. You know, sin brings a horrible burden of guilt to the sinner. In the words of Cain there, he said, my punishment is too great to bear. And man has devised many excuses to try to alleviate the burden of their guilt. None of these excuses have been as despicable as those that are clothed in religious terms. When men seek to excuse their sin, they usually end up blaming God. Let's notice our first point here. They say, my flesh is too weak. I'm too weak. I, I, I can't not sin. I got a sin. You see, they say, I was born with a sinful nature. People will say, I was born this way. That's why I do what I do. Or I can't help it. It's just the way that I am. The way that I was born, the way that God made me. Again, blaming it on God. 
They say, you know, man is prone to sin, just like a spark of a fire. It's going to fly up and go up into the air. You know, they say it's just a natural thing. It's just natural for us as people to sin. We used to have a little quilted thing. I don't know where it was that, that uh, we had it. I don't know if you and I had it, Laura, or my mom or my grandmother. But on it, it was a little handmade quilted saying. And it said, we're just human. To err is human. Right? Is that true? Just because we're human, we're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. All humans, we just can't help it. We all make mistakes. Yeah, we do. Scriptures tell us that all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but that doesn't mean that we don't have self-control and free will and a choice in the matter to be able to sin or to not sin. The Calvinists and the Catholics, they teach the false doctrine of the original sin. And they believe that Adam sinned there in the Garden of Eden and that uh, grave consequences of, of humanity come from this. And that is the source of human sinfulness, mort, uh, mortality, and even enslavement to sin. And that all human beings participate in Adam's sin and that we share his guilt. I don't agree with all that. Adam and Eve sinned and they're going to have to pay for what they did. I'm not going to have to and you're not going to have to. Do we have to pay the consequences of what they did? Yes, we do. You see, we will all suffer the consequences of their sin. Women shall have pain in childbirth. Men must work by the sweat of their brow all the days of their life to be able to get fruit from the ground. It's not just going to freely grow in a beautiful paradise garden and they can walk around and pick what they want. No, they're going to have to go and dig and till the soil. And we also shall die and return to the ground from where we were taken. We were taken from the dust of the ground and we're going to go back to the dust of the ground. Just those three consequences, there were, there were more there in the uh, punishment that God brings down upon Satan and Eve and, and Adam and mankind. But we don't inherit this original sin from Adam and from Eve. That's what they say. They say every person that's born has this sinful nature and we just can't help it, and we can't control it, and we're going to sin. But what does God say? The preacher says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29, Behold, I have found only this. I found only this, that God made man a sinful pig. What? That's not what it says. God made man upright. He made us upright. When we're born, we're innocent, pure child. Through life, we learn how to sin and to do wrong. And people get us to sin. 
and they give us things and we hear things and we see things and maybe media and music and a lot of things. People tempting us, we start to sin. We have to learn that. You see, behold, I found only this, that God made man upright. But mankind have sought out many devices. We seek out many devices. We seek out many evils. We seek out many sins. Sin and guilt don't come from man's nature, but from one's choice to sin. That's what the prophet Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 18.20. It says the person whose sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity. We are not going to suffer for our grandmother or our grandfather or all the way back to Adam. Adam's going to stand before God and give an account for what he did. Dave's going to stand before God and give an account and a reckoning for what I've done. The son will not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. You see, when we stand before judgment, we're all going to have to give an account for what we have done. Cain will have to stand before God at judgment and give an account for what he did and slaying and killing his brother. He's the one who killed his brother. God didn't strike Abel down. Cain did. And Cain's going to get punished. And Cain's going to have to suffer for what Cain did and be a vagabond and a vagrant and a wanderer upon the earth. You see, we will all stand before God and we're all going to be judged by what we've done. You will not have to give an account, again, for anybody else's sins but your own. Well, how can men acquire and cultivate a sinful nature? Here's what a Calvinist said. The century of a publication had an article in it, uh, June 30th of 1986, page 9 of that book. And this is what the guy said. The further impact of Calvinism was the title of the article. There is no denying that human beings have a sinful nature. The Bible doesn't teach that. Yes, we sin, all sin, but it's not that I have a sinful nature, that I have this original sin. But the Calvinists have um, argued that man is born with this sinful nature. But then he makes this statement. He says, the truth is that sin is something that's cultivated by habit and by practice. You see, when I do something sinful when I'm a little kid and I steal the cookie out of the cookie jar and I get away with it, what happens? I go and steal two cookies next time before meal time. And then I steal a couple more and I keep getting away from it and it's a habit. Mom said, don't eat anything. I want you to eat all your food that I'm going to give you. Okay, mom. You see, I got to cultivate it. I got to practice it. I got to keep doing it. And what happens 
it grows in our life where it comes to a point where we're sinning and it masters us. We can't not do it. So do I agree with that statement that this guy makes here? That we cultivate the habit and practice of sin in our life? I do agree with that. But he goes on and said, but regardless of whether it's inherited, so I don't care if it is from Adam or Eve, original sin, or if it's cultivated to deny the existence of a sinful nature in human beings is wrong, this guy says. I don't agree with that. But the idea of cultivating and practicing it and doing it Yeah, I I do agree with that statement. Well, if men, again, have this sinful nature, why does Paul say twice that men are not tempted beyond what they're able to bear? You see, if I'm tempted to do something, what's going to happen? I can't overcome it. I'm just going to do it. It's my sinful nature. I'm human. I'm going to err. This is the way it is. That's not what he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He said, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. Here's two times he says this now in this verse. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Temptation's gonna come. The sin's gonna come. And I have to take the cookie? No. I don't have to. It's my choice. I have a free will. I could say, I'm going to wait. Because I know mom made an extra pork chop. And I'd rather have that pork chop than a cookie. It goes on and says, but with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape. We just got to look for it. We got to think for a second and not just jump to doing what's wrong. Pork chop, cookie. Pork chop, right? I want that. And he goes on and says, here's a second time, so that you will be able to endure it. You can endure the temptation. You have an escape. You can overcome it. You don't have to do it. But what do most people say? They fall back to these stupid excuses and say, oh, I want the cookie, and I'll still try to get the pork chop. Right? People are saying they're sinful and they can't help themselves. But this passage here by Paul is saying you have free will and a choice in the matter. You can resist the temptation and look for the way of escape. Therefore, this means you're not just a sinful person, but you have the right to be able to choose what is good and what is right. If you were just a sinful person and had this sinful nature, And that's who we are, and we just sin. But you have a choice. You have self-control. You can have a sound judgment. And you can say, no, David, walk away. You don't need the cookie. You can wait 15 minutes. You see, right? I can wait 20 minutes so that I can eat all my good food. And you know what will happen after I do what's right? And I eat. What's mom going to say? Dave, you want some cookies? And she'll give me a glass of milk and a slab of pie. 
Sometimes maybe I ate a half a pie, and instead of eating two cookies, I ate a dozen. But I still got that by being patient and by waiting and by doing what's right. What about Jesus who became flesh and was tempted as we are yet resisted temptation? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says this, and I'm going to remove the, the he here at the beginning because it's talking about Jesus and plug Jesus in. It says, therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself, in his humanity when he became flesh, was tempted and he was tested and tried in that which he has suffered, He's able to come to the aid, to the cry, and to the assistance, and to the relief of those who are being tempted and tested, and who therefore are being exposed to suffering. That is the amplified version of that scripture. Beautiful the way they expose that and bring it to light. You see, Jesus came and was tempted in all ways, and he didn't say, oh, I got to take the cookie or I got to do this, that, or the other and be sinful. No, he didn't do those things. He did the right thing. Romans chapter eight, verse three says this, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, the entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He subdued it. He overcame it. He deprived it of its power over all who accept Christ's sacrifice. Do people choose to sin and cultivate it until it becomes a habit in their life? And it masters them. Many people do do that. But you still have a choice to stop and to say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to take the sacrifice that's laying at the door, the lamb, and I'm going to go offer it instead of going out and getting an argue with, argument from my, with my brother because he did what was right and kill him over it. You see, I have the choice is our flesh weak? Yes, it is at times. And we do sin at times. But repent. Confess those sins. Don't blame it on God and say, he made me this way. I can't choose not to sin and do right. That's wrong. You have free will in the matter. Secondly, temptation is too strong. It's just too much. Oh, I got to do it. Really? They say, you know, we're being tempted by God. Some want to blame God for their temptations. Why did God do this to me? Why is God tempting me this way? Why did God allow this to happen to me? James denies God tempts us to do evil. James 1, 13 through 15 says, 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil when he himself does not tempt anyone. God is not going to tempt anybody. So again, to blame God of that, that's like blasphemy. But each one of us is tempted when we're carried away and enticed by our own lusts, our appetites, our desires, our lusts, what we like or what we want. That's what carries us away to sin. It says there, In verse 15, then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When I can't take it anymore and I'm not going to stop it or change the channel or shut the computer off or shut the music off or whatever, walk away from the person trying to give me something or to do something, what happens? Then we say, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess everybody else is doing it. I'll do it. And you sin. And when you sin, and when sin is accomplished, it says here, it brings forth death. You see, when it masters us and we bow to it instead of overcoming it, that's us in our mind, not God tempting us or causing it to happen. Well, I cannot bear the temptation We are told that all men do sin, but that no one has to sin. But some say, well, state it any way you desire. That which I cannot avoid, I have to do. So if this comes down the path, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. That's not true. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to then sin and do whatever it is That's tempting you. Even the garden could have said, no, I'm not going to eat that apple. She could have chose not to eat it instead of eating it. She could have ran and fled to Adam and said, hey, this serpent over here is telling me to eat this and to do this. She could have quoted God's word. God told him what to do and what would happen. And she could have quoted it to him. But you see, she chose to take the apple or whatever fruit it was and to eat it. Paul again said, we can and we are able to bear the temptation in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Eve could have endured Satan's temptation, but she chose not to. When we are tempted, we can avoid what Satan's throwing at us too and look for that way of escape and run and flee the sin and not do it. Well, Dave, we live in a sinful world. You know, it, that's, it's true. It's a sinful world. There's a lot of sins out there. And we know that because when they did sin in the, in the garden, Adam, he blamed Eve for his sin. 
And she blamed the serpent, the devil of old. <clears throat> Genesis 3, 12 and 13 says this. The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Adam's blaming God for giving him Eve. The woman you gave me, it's because of her. You did this, God. You gave her to me, and that's why I sinned and ate this. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? And what did she do? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know, instead of them both just fessing up and saying, I did it, they try to blame somebody else. And that's what people do in the world. But you know, for every case that we have in the Bible where somebody tries to blame God or falls to sin, we have somebody that overcomes. How about the example of Job? He resisted the temptation of his wife. Remember, he lost all of his children and all of his animals and flocks, and he even got struck with uh, boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And Job 2, 9 and 10 says, Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity even though all this has happened to us and to our children and all of the animals we have and to you physically? She said, curse God and die. Curse God, blame God. God did this to you. No, Satan did it to you. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And what's it say? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You see, Job had a choice. He could have listened to his wife and said, You're right, God did this. And said something crazy and blamed God and maybe swore however they would swear back then. But he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't blame God. He knows the enemy raiders came and did it. Killed his family. He got boils and got sick. We get sick. We get hives. We get rashes. We don't know why. It's not God's fault. We just got to figure out why. What's going on? Here Job was being attacked by Satan. For every example of someone who gave in to a particular sin, there is an opposite example of one who resisted the temptation. So don't blame God and say this sinful temptation is too strong. Ask God to give you strength and to help you to be able to overcome it. Thirdly, the law is too difficult. The word of God, it, it, it's just too much. It, it's too much. I, I can't take it. Really? Paul said that we could understand the word of God. He said, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ in Ephesians 3, 4. He said that you could understand it, God's word in Ephesians 5, 17. He said, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Where's the will of the Lord? How can I learn the will of the Lord? By the word of God, because it's truth and I can learn here what God wants me to do and to say and what pleases him and what displeases him and what's sin and what's not sin. 
You see, we can understand God's word if we study his word, seek his truth. If we do not try, how are we going to understand? But people like making excuses and would rather just blame God and say the Bible's too hard to understand. You know, I I just don't know what you're talking about. That's, you're speaking Greek to me. You know, I, I can't understand what, what you're saying there about God and the word and everything. You know, hey, my, my parents, they never took me to church. I never had a Bible. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, no one's ever taught me these things. Well, you know what? You can get a Bible for really cheap. And if you can't get one, we have them back there. We can give you a Bible. We have classes and revivals. We have, the ladies are having Bible studies. The men are having special Bible studies. You see, we have a vacation, Bible school, and camps, and re, all these things, all of our regular services. We can come together and open up the book and study and find out what God's word says and what his will is. But people say they just can't keep God's word. Some argue long and loud that no one can really keep God's word. Well, what did Moses say? He said, God revealed his word that we may do it. And not only do it, but do all of it. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of the law. He gave us the law. He gave us his book so we're not in the dark, so that we're not confused, so that we can understand it all. So there, again, their excuse just doesn't match up. Moses' words are repeated in the New Testament concerning the new covenant in Romans 10, 6 to 18. We can read and understand God's word and his will for our lives if we would just make the time to get into the good book, the Bible, and to do what it says. And fourthly, they say God's judgment is too hard. That's what Cain said, didn't he? My punishment, it's too great to bear. My judgment's too hard. Yes, I killed my brother, but you're going to send me away from the ground, and I love the ground and digging and growing plants and all the wonderful things that I can get from the ground, and you're going to make me a wanderer and a vagabond, a vagrant upon the earth. God, you're just too hard, people say. When you think about the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, in verses 24, the one talent man claimed that his master was too hard there. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. He goes and blames the master for his laziness and not using the talent he was given. He said, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. 
And I was afraid and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, what you have is yours. Isn't that a shame that a lot of times men do that? They say, God, you're just too hard. So what you have is yours and hey, everything's cool, right? No, it's not. I gave you the talent to go use it. The guy that had five used them and got five more and now he has 10. The guy that had two went and used them and got two more and he has four. You have one. He, I'd rather you have been faithful and try to go and use it and come and give me an excuse and say, I was trying to be faithful and I did this and it didn't work and I, I lost the talent. I think the master would have forgave him because at least he had tried. You see, this accusation that the one talent man made, it was untrue. Why? Because the master gave them his goods. He said, here's a talent. Here's five, here's two, here's one. He gave to every man according to their ability. He only reaped where he had sown. He didn't go and sow where he didn't reap. That would be breaking the law and the word. Where he had sown, that's where he reaped. He expected no more from each servant than what his abilities were. He richly rewarded those who were faithful over a few things. He expected no more from the one talent man than he expects from any of his other servants. The one talent man had the audacity to accuse his master of being hard when in reality his master had been so fair, so generous, so loving, so entrusting to say, here's a talent, go earn some more. He could have at least given it to the bankers, right, and got interest. He didn't even do that. He went and dug it, a hole in the ground, and buried it in the dirt. How many today accuse God of being too hard? How can God expect everybody to get baptized? This is too hard. You mean you're going to dunk me in that tank and I'm going to get my hair wet? Man, my beautiful white curly locks, you're going to get them wet? How can God expect me to not forsake the assembling of the saints? Hebrews 10, 25. It's too hard. I'm too busy to make it to the assembly all the time. You know, that, that's four hours or so a week. That's just way too much time to give to God. I have other things to do. How can God expect me to not divorce except for Adultery or fornication. Matthew 19.9 says, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality or fornication and marries another woman commits adultery. That word there, adultery, means to be a covenant breaker. He becomes a covenant breaker. He breaks the covenant that he made with that person, his spouse. You see... How can God expect me to not get drunk and blow off some steam and stress at least two or three times a week, right? It's just so hard to stay sober in our day and age. Man, I, I got to get that. Calm me down. Help me relax. Really? 
People say God's way is not fair. There are many today who complain that the Lord's way is not fair. How can God expect Christians to repent and confess their sins they commit? This is too hard. The Jews accused God. The way of the Lord's not fair, they said. God said that his ways are fair. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 25 and 29, both say the same thing. So I'll just read it one time. It says this. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not right. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? You could say my ways aren't right, but it's really your ways that aren't right. Don't blame me and say that my ways aren't right. God's ways are right. They're truth and what we should be doing. God's fairness is seen in his righteousness and his judgment and his provisions for repentance. In Ezekiel 33, 17 through 20, it says this, Yet your fellow citizens say the way of the Lord's not right, when it is their own way that is not right. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, then he shall die in it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and practices justice and righteousness, he will live by them. Yet you say, the way of the Lord's not right. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. Why? Because God's ways are right. And we need to do what he instructs us and tells us. And God's judgments, they say, they're just too harsh. That's what Cain said. It's too much for me to bear this punishment. I, I can't do it. Some complain that God to judge us upon that last day. It's just not right. And, uh, he's going to be harsh. I remember preaching <clears throat> once and a fellow objected to that God would not judge us based upon um, what we have done right and, and, and wrong and it just wasn't fair. And I said, you know what? Let's everybody turn to Romans chapter two. Let's do that. Let's turn to Romans chapter two and see what Paul tells the Romans here. Romans chapter two. I'm not gonna read all of this. But Romans chapter 2, I'm going to start here in verse 3 and read down through verse 13. Romans 2, 3. He says, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent or unrepentant heart, 
You are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each man according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who are patient, continuance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath and tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Yeah, we need to hear it. We need to hear the law. We need to hear God's word. But we need to do it. And God's going to be fair. It's the goodness and the fairness of God that brings people to repentance, to want to be Christians and want to live right. And when we do that, and again, are obedient to the scriptures of what they tell us we need to do to become a Christian, we're going to be okay at the judgment if we continue in that. But those who, again, want to blame God and say things against God and don't want to follow it, the wrath of God is going to come upon them. And the judgment is not going to be something that they want to be standing if they're not right with God and not been saved according to his word. You see, God plainly tells us that we will be judged upon the basis of our deeds and there will be those who will be rewarded for their continuing to do good, but also for those who continue to do evil. They're going to be rewarded too with the lake of fire and hell. In conclusion, when we sin, let us not make the further mistake of trying to excuse our sins by blaming God. It's wrong to excuse sin, claiming that our flesh, it's just too weak. Or the temptation, it's too strong. I'm going to sin. Or that the law or commandment was too difficult and I just couldn't understand the word and I couldn't understand what was going on here. Or you know what? God's judgments, they're, they're just too hard. Like what Cain said. Instead, we should humbly confess our sins before God. Seek his forgiveness. If you have never named Christ as your Savior, you need to do what Acts 2.38 says. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 38. And if you are a Christian and you need to repent, do as the apostle Peter told Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8, 22. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you.